Well, let's pray. Ask God to meet us in the word this morning, and then we'll dig into Isaiah 63. Lord, come right now, I pray. And by the power of your spirit, open our hearts to your word. Uh, subdue unbelief, Lord, and just any kind of uh, rebellion or just any kind of uh, doubt. Lord, just come and do a powerful work so that we would see clearly who you are in your word and trust you and your holy son, Jesus, with all our hearts. Help me to be clear and in, in accord with your word, I pray. And we ask for a, a mighty outpouring of your work right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah 63. And as we always say, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. I want to make sure you can all follow along with us. We're passionate about studying the Bible here at Mercy Hill Church. So I was talking to a guy here at Allen School yesterday, another guy I had a chance to share the Lord with, and I, I said, I view my job as just helping people, introducing people to the Scriptures. So I want to kind of get out of the way as much as I can and let people just get the Scriptures. So that's my goal here. Here's an overview of Isaiah 62 through 66. We'll put it up on the screen here, I think. Will we? Uh, the reason I'm balking is I didn't include this on my PowerPoint presentation, this slide. So I'm thinking maybe, oh, there it is. Okay. Um, so we've got, what, five chapters to go in the book of Isaiah. We're on the last lab. This has been really good for me. I've enjoyed, I and mean, this has been very daunting, and I love how the Lord's met me and us. So here's uh, last five chapters, 62, we saw last week, Isaiah's calling Israel to pray. He says, God has chosen to have our prayers move God to do the things he's promised to do. So pray, that's 62. And then 63 verses 1 through 14, Isaiah urges Israel to prepare their hearts to pray. And we're going to come back, and that's our focus this morning. And then from 63, verse 15, all the way through to the end of chapter 64, Isaiah leads them in prayer to help them understand how to pray and to give them kind of something they can pray through. And then the last two chapters of the book of Isaiah, chapter 65 and 66, Isaiah tells Israel the amazing ways God's going to answer their prayers. Looking to the end of history, the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to be unfolding that together in a couple weeks. So these last chapters are all about prayer. That's the big arc we've got over this section. So why is it so important, coming back to chapter 63, our section for today, why is it so important that we prepare our hearts for prayer? Let me illustrate it by telling you the story of two men in the Old Testament who, just five chapters apart, both of them face similar need, both of them pray and ask God to meet that need, one of them his prayer moves God to meet that need. The other one, his prayer does not move God to meet that need. Let me tell you the story. David's the first man. 1 Samuel 23. The situation David faces is that the Philistines are attacking Israel. David knows he needs to do something. He knows he needs God's wisdom. And so he asks God, give me wisdom. He knows that God has chosen to have his prayers move God to work. And so he asks God to give him wisdom. God hears David's prayer, David's prayer moves God to work, and God supernaturally tells David exactly what to do. And the result of that was that the Philistines were conquered and Israel was saved. Beautiful story, 1 Samuel 23. Five chapters later, 1 Samuel 28, Saul, exact same situation. The Philistines are attacking Israel. Saul knows he needs God's wisdom to know what to do here. 
He knows that God has chosen to work through our prayers to move him to do the things he wants to do, to move him to act. And so Saul prays and asks God for wisdom, but Saul's prayer does not move God to act. God does not respond to Saul's prayer. God remains silent. 1 Samuel 28.6 says, The Lord did not answer him. Why not? What's the difference? Now, there's no explicit verse that says this in 1 Samuel, but if you've studied David's life and Saul's life, I think you can see clearly the difference is their hearts are in very different places, right? David's heart was right before God. In fact, it's in the book of Acts, isn't it, where uh, Luke tells us that David had a heart after God. David's heart was in sync with God, and Saul's was not. So heart preparation is absolutely crucial if we're going to pray and have God hear our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. He loves us, but we have to have our hearts prepared. And that's why Isaiah focuses on that here in chapter 63, the verse 14 verses. So I studied these 14 verses, and uh, as I pondered them and meditated on them, I mean, I, I did conclude that the big picture over these 14 verses is how to prepare our hearts for prayer. And I saw four main ways to prepare our hearts. So let's dig in, and then we'll uh, ask the Lord to work in our hearts. We can wrestle with these in our home groups this week. The first one that I saw is that we are to strengthen our faith in God's power. That's the first place you want to start. Now, here's some background. Israel, uh, at the time that this was being read by them, was in exile in Babylon. Now, Babylon was a powerful empire, ruling the whole civilized world at the time. And because of how powerful Babylon was, as Israel was slaves there in Babylon, Israel could have easily had her faith in God's power be very weak. I mean, she could have thought, you know, we'd love to see God work, but, I mean, what can God do for us? We're under the rule of Babylon. What's what's God going to do for us? We're under their power, this massive, sovereign, incredibly wicked empire. And so to strengthen Israel's faith, here's what Isaiah does. He tells them that God is absolutely sovereign over Babylon. And the way he does this is he says what God's going to do to Babylon and all the rebellious nations at the end of history in in punishing them. That's verses 1 through 6. Let's just read this. Verse 1, Isaiah asks, Who is this who comes from Edom? That's a nation southeast of of Israel. Who is this who comes from Edom? In crimsoned garments from Bozrah, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. So here's God, great strength. Isaiah says, who is this? God answers, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. There's a big emphasis on God's power here. Verse 2, Isaiah asks, why is your apparel, your clothes, red, and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? God answers, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people's There's the peoples, all the rebellious nations. No one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm, God by his sovereign 
mighty, infinite power brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples. This is all the rebellious nations in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Now just to put this into context a little bit, this is a pretty severe passage, isn't it? But understand, God has revealed himself clearly through creation. God has sent his son Jesus, the creator God, came to earth in the person of Jesus. Jesus was punished in our place. God's wrath poured out upon Jesus so that we could be forgiven for all of our sins. We wouldn't need to face that. So God has done everything. He said, turn to me. You can be forgiven. You don't need to face wrath. But for those peoples and those nations who continue in rebellion, this is what's coming. God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness. But this is what will happen for the peoples, for the nations who continue to resist God. But Isaiah's point here is to help Israel understand Babylon is just one of these peoples. God's mighty to save. God's sovereign over Babylon, as you can see from what he'll do to Babylon at the end of history. So Israel, strengthen your faith in God's power. You are under the dominion of Babylon now, but God is in absolute sovereign control over Babylon. God can do whatever he wants to do with Babylon. God could free you in the next 10 seconds if he chose to. Don't worry about Babylon. God rules everything. Now, you might think, well, Israel, why, why can't they see that? But see, when you're in the midst of a trial, you can start to think that that trial that you're under is so big that God can't do anything. Right? You can see why, well, somebody else's trial, God's going to take care of you. You ever felt that way? Why can't they see God's going to take care of them? It's when you're in the midst of a trial, it seems like, well, this one, now we've got real trouble, Right? So let me throw out some examples. Maybe you're saying, you know, my marriage is just a disaster, right? But like, why would I pray? What's God going to do? My husband's heart is just so hard, right? What's God going to do? Or what's God going to do? The issues between me and my wife, I mean, there's just layers of complicated issues. What's God going to do? I I wish I could pray, but what's he going to do? What's he going to do? He could change your husband's heart just like that. Do you understand that? Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He, the Lord, turns the king's heart wherever he, the Lord, wishes it to go. That's what God can do with your husband's heart. So that's why you pray. God can resolve all the issues between you and your wife by his power. God is not wringing his hands worried, saying, what are we going to do? God has total power. So strengthen your faith in his power. Maybe you're thinking, um, you know, I need to get a better job. Or I need to get any job. And I'd love to pray, but what's God going to do? I mean, nobody's hiring now. What's God going to do? Right? The economy is just really bad right now. What's God going to do? We're in a recession. God knows that. Why would I ask him? What's God going to do? Anybody understand? Anybody felt that way? Okay. You're all like looking stunned. Okay. <laughs> Don't talk that way. This is, I'm not going there. You can totally do something because God is in absolute sovereign control over the entire Santa Clara County economy. Did you know that? He's in absolute control. He's the one who hires. Behind him is the fire. Everything is in God's control. God could bring you 50 job offers tomorrow if he chose to. Even if you didn't use monster.com, he could still do it, okay? So we have to strengthen our faith. But see, when you're in a place of job difficulty, unemployment, you can start to think, well, I'd love to pray, but the the economy's bad. 
God's in control of the economy. He is powerful over the economy. Okay, one more example. You might say to yourself, you know, I'd love to be more strong spiritually. I'd love to be more victorious over temptation. I'd love to be making more advance in, in, in sharing the gospel with people. I'd love to be just a stronger follower of Christ, but I've got an anger issue, or I'm lazy, or you know, I've got, I've got background problems that are affecting me still today. So I, I'd love to pray about these things, but what's God going to do? I've got an anger problem. I'm lazy, or whatever it might be. See a pattern here? What's the answer to that? God turned Paul the Pharisee, who was seeking to kill Christians, into Paul the lover of Jesus Christ, who was willing to die as a Christian. Paul turned Paul from, God turned Paul from Paul the Pharisee to Paul the believer. Night and day change. God could do the same for you. God turned a money-loving tax collector named Zacchaeus into a, let's give it all away to the poor, Zacchaeus. Right? Massive change from Zacchaeus, the money-loving tax collector, to Zacchaeus, the let's give it all away. That's why you pray. Because God has the power to change your heart. He can change you. So strengthen your faith in God's power. That, that's a crucial part. Because see, if you don't think God really has much power, at best your prayers are just going to be little like, dribbles off your lip, you know. Oh, God help me. Okay, whatever. Right? Or you won't pray at all. So strengthen your faith in God's power. Now, before we move on from this point, how do you do that? How do you strengthen your faith in God's power? See, you by your own willpower cannot do that. Just to let's, let's get that out there. You cannot do that. You can't try to be positive. You can't, let's look on the bright side. None of those things are going to strengthen your faith in God's power. That takes a Holy Spirit work, and God will give you that Holy Spirit work. Let me give you two steps to take. I'm intrigued that a number of people have referred to the prayer in Mark chapter uh, 9, verse 40, what is it, 40, I'm sorry, Mark 9, 24. Turn to Jesus and pray the Mark 9, 24 prayer. Start there, which is, I believe, help my unbelief. I, listen, almost every morning, I pray this prayer. I wake up, get my tea, sit down, read, and I think, oh Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm worried about this, I'm frustrated about this, I'm feeling far, I just whatever it might be. Almost every morning I pray the Mark 9, 24 prayer. So you come to Jesus. You don't try to strengthen your faith on your own. You don't say, I'll pray later when I'm feeling like I've got stronger faith. No, go right to Jesus. Do not stop, go, do not pass, whatever it is, do not pass, go, go right to Jesus. And pray and say, Lord Jesus, Forgive me for my unbelief. And through his death on the cross, he will. And then you say, help my unbelief. And he will. He never, ever says no to that prayer. That's the first step. Second step then is, where does faith come from? Hearing the word of Christ, right? Romans chapter 10. So the second step is you open up the scriptures to scriptures that describe God's power and you pray over them Say, Lord, help me to see this more clearly. I'm not believing in it right now. Help me to trust your power. Help me to see your sovereignty, your, your, your authority over everything. And you pray over those scriptures until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you feel him changing your heart so that you, yes, God is over the entire economy. Yes, God can change my heart no matter what my background is. Yes, God can transform my marriage. Okay, so... 
strengthen your faith in God's power. That's the first one. Second one, how to transform our hearts, how to prepare our hearts for prayer. The second one is be thankful for God's goodness. I think this is where Isaiah goes next. Now here's why this is so important. When you're going through a hard time, is it easy to not be thankful? Yes, right? And is it easy to start getting angry at God? Yes, it is, right? It's very easy. And Israel could have very easily been angry at God for what she was going through here. Okay, now, just we've got to raise this question. Is it okay to be angry against God? Don't answer, just because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. But, uh, but right, no, okay. Um, first of all, there's a big difference between being angry with God and, and be, being sorrowful before God. Big difference, right? And... Being sorrowful before God is, is, is a humble response. But I've seen in my own heart, when I'm angry with God, um, there's, there's pride there. Like, like, I think, I know better how God should be running things. Right? I was talking to Jan about this yesterday. She said, if we would just think about how big the universe is that God spoke into being with a word, and how puny Steve Fuller is, and how now even punier my little brain is, what am I thinking? To be angry against God. Now, when you are angry against God, what should you do? Wait, am I, is that where I wanted to go next? No, hold that thought, okay? <laughs> hold that thought. If we're angry against God, we need to have our hearts changed uh, so we're thankful for God's goodness. I'll go ahead and say, what we need to do is don't pretend you're not. If you're angry, go right to Jesus and say, I'm, I'm angry and it's wrong. Help me. And how will Jesus respond to that? He'll say, yes, I I will help you. And through his death on the cross, he'll break the power of that. He'll wash you clean from that. You'll have a fresh assurance of forgiveness. So look at what Isaiah does in 7 through 9. He reminds Israel of how good God has been to her, which is a crucial part of of having that anger go away. Verses 7 through 9. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Look at all the words there. Steadfast love, great goodness, compassion, abundance of his steadfast love. Wow. So Israel, remember God's goodness. Verse 8. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. So Israel, you may be tempted to be angry against God, but just stop and think about God's lavish goodness towards you. God chose the nation of Israel when she was the smallest of all the nations, and when she was idol worshippers, God chose Israel to be his people. And by the work of his spirit, he cleansed them from sin. He forgave them through what the Messiah, Jesus, would do. They became his people. He became their God. And he carries them. Remember, that's what Isaiah says here. Remember during the wilderness wanderings, how God carried them? How God provided water for them miraculously out of the rock? How God brought manna to them? 
right? Six days a week and then double the sixth day so they could rest on the seventh day. Remember how God brought quail to them, God brought meat to them. God carried them all through those wilderness wanderings, God's lavish goodness to Israel. So what should you do then if you are, you're in need, and you've got some anger against God for allowing that to take place? What should you do? Turn directly to Jesus Christ. There's never a time you don't turn to Jesus. I hope you're picking that up here after a few weeks. What do we do all the time? We turn to Jesus. What do we do about this? Turn to Jesus. Well, how about that? Turn to Jesus. Okay, it's really true. Jesus is the resurrected, living Savior who has all authority in heaven and on earth, who loves you, who died on the cross to set you free from sin, to forgive you from sin, to help you, to change you. Why not turn to him? Okay, so that's what we do. We turn right to Jesus Christ. We don't wait, so I'm angry now. I think I'll talk to Jesus a little bit later when I've had a chance to mellow out a little bit. No, no, no. Go right to him. He knows, right? He knows you turn right to him and you say, forgive me. Help me, change me, wash me clean. And then you, you ponder his goodness to you. Ask him, say, help me feel now the amazing goodness of what you've done for me through the cross. I'm not feeling it now. All I'm feeling is I'm mad about this happening over here. Help me to see the lavish goodness of what you've done for me on the cross. And as you do that, as you ask him to help you, he will change your heart. You will feel the Holy Spirit changing your heart and that anger will start to subdue and the peace and the thankfulness will start to increase. You will feel the Holy Spirit doing that in your heart as you come and in Jesus' name you pray. You will experience him doing that. And that's crucial. So be thankful for God's goodness by turning to Jesus and asking him to help you by the power of the Spirit. That's the second one. Okay, third one. Confess your sin before God. That's the point of verse 10. Here's a little bit of background to what Isaiah says here. Israel, as you know, had repeatedly turned their backs on God and worshipped idols. And God is merciful, slow to anger. He sent prophets to them again and again and again, saying, turn back from the idols or punishment is going to come. And what did Israel do? She kept turning her back on God and pursuing the idols. And finally, God allowed Babylon to destroy Jerusalem and take the survivors back to Babylon as slaves. That's the point of verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy. God turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Okay, now why would Isaiah mention that this here? What's the point? I think the point is that crucial heart preparation is to make sure that you own up to your sinfulness and that you confess your sins before the Lord. That's crucial heart preparation. Now, Dave Clark and I were talking about this this week. Does that mean that you need to confess every single sin before the Lord if you're going to be forgiven and have there be access between you and God? No. That is impossible to do, right? At least I know my own heart. That'd be absolutely impossible. Just a second. I've got 50,000 more to go here, and that's just yesterday, right? I mean, it's true because there's indwelling sin. Everything I do, even my best moments, are, are still have tinges of vain ambition, and, and self in them, right? And you do too. So that's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said, here's how we pray. Forgive us our, our debts. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay, so just, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned yesterday. Now, what's especially important though, and what Isaiah I think is targeting here and what we need to deal with is there are times when you have 
an area of sin that you are intentionally not confessing to him. You are willfully not confessing to him because you want to cling to it. Right? That's deadly serious. If you have an area of sin, it's like, well, I'm not going to confess that because I don't want to. I'm not planning on confessing that. I'm going to hold on to this one. That, see, let's say, take an example. Let's say that maybe, maybe at your, at your job, you're stealing from the company or from the boss, maybe stealing money, or maybe stealing supplies, or maybe stealing time in some way, and you're thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to confess that before the Lord. See, if that's in your heart, then the Lord will not hear your prayers. Okay, Isaiah said that explicitly a few chapters before. Remember that? Now, why won't he hear your prayers? It's not because you're not perfect. Because then he'd never hear any of our prayers. Okay, it's not because you're not perfect. Here's why. If you have an area of willful sin that you're holding to and not surrendering to the Lord Jesus, then you're not trusting Jesus. If you were trusting him, what would you do? You'd say, help me with this. Help me with this. And would he help you with that? Totally! So if you're holding to it, though, and not confessing it, you're not trusting Jesus. And that's why your prayers won't be answered, because the only way any of our prayers can be answered, we're never good enough. It's only as we come through Jesus Christ. We're trusting Jesus. We need his death on the cross to wash us clean from sin. We need his death on the cross to purchase forgiveness for us. And when we're that way, we're surrendered. Not that we're perfect, but we're saying, Lord, I I confess this to you. Help me with this. He hears. He's all ears when that's what's in your heart. So, understand this. You need to have a life that's surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Now, just quiz time. Does that mean you need to overcome every sin before you can pray? No, because you can't. It means you, you come to him as you are. I've got this pattern. I've got this lust. I've got this greed. Help me. Forgive me. And he hears and he heals and he transforms and he'll bring his power upon you. But again, what's dangerous is if you have an area, I'm not going to confess that. And, and some of you, I, I would guess, in a group this size, you've got areas like that. Let me, let me plead with you. You're not trusting Jesus if you're holding that back from him. How can you not trust Jesus? I mean, think of his love for you to be willing to experience the Father's wrath that you deserve for your sin, to receive that upon himself. How can you see Jesus with that love for you? He loves you that much. He cares about you that much. And he says, I will take care of that. That's wrong. I will wash you clean from it. I will forgive you for it. Bring that to me. Bring that to me. I will cleanse you from that. Don't say no. Don't say no. Bring it. Bring it. You don't need to get perfect first. We don't get perfect until heaven, right? We trust Jesus. Okay, are we clear on that? Okay? Anybody think, I want to make sure you get this. So confess your sin before him. Okay, one last heart preparation that Isaiah gives to us. See that God is ready to answer your prayer. I think it would have been really easy for Israel to feel discouraged over her slavery in Babylon. Here she is, exiled, slaves in Babylon, to think, where's God? Anybody ever said, where's God, in the midst of a problem? Where is God? Okay, 
We probably all have. Thank you. We probably all have. And when you're asking yourself, where's God? At best, your prayers are going to be weak and you may not pray at all. And look at how Isaiah encourages Israel in verses 11 through 14. Verse 11. Then he... Now, the New American Standard and, and many commentaries I read thought that that he is referring to Israel. You may want to make that a little note in your Bible because the previous verse, the he would be God, but it's because of what the rest of this verse says. Then he, Israel, the nation of Israel, remembered the days of old, of Moses and his people. So Isaiah is saying, remember what God did through Moses. Okay? Where is he, that is God, who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flocks? He's saying, Israel, remember all that God did through Moses. Where is the God who did that, Israel? Where is he, keep reading in verse 11, who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths, Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down to the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you, Yahweh, God, led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Okay, so here's what's going on. Israel is saying, look at our situation. Where is God? Okay? Isaiah says, wait a minute, Israel. This isn't the first time you've been in slavery, right? Hundreds of years before, you were enslaved in Egypt. And what did God do then? You, you know the story. Through Moses, God worked amazing signs and wonders, right? Turning the, the Nile, the river, Nile River into blood and bringing frogs all across the land and then finally having the firstborn of every household, every household who didn't have the lamb's blood, picture of Jesus Christ painted on the doorpost. Any house who didn't have the lamb's blood, they, they lost their firstborn. And Pharaoh just said, okay, go. And he sent the people of Israel away. So you all went away, Israel. Remember what happened next, God's saying. You came up against the Red Sea. All right? So there you were, Red Sea. Now what are we going to do? And all of a sudden, thunder, 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 thunder behind you. Pharaoh and all of his armies. Pharaoh changed his mind. Go get them back. So they're coming back. So you've got the Red Sea in front of you. Pharaoh and his armies behind you. And God through Moses. Moses reaches out his right hand. What happens? The sea parts. And God's people go across on dry lands. And then... Pharaoh says, let's go get them. So they come in and then the sea crushes back upon them. And so what, what Moses or what Isaiah is saying here is simply this. Do you remember how God delivered you from Egypt? Do you remember how God parted the Red Sea? Do you remember how God freed you from your slavery? So Isaiah is saying, Israel, where is the God who did those things? And I think Isaiah's answer is, he's waiting to have you ask him for help. That's where God is. He's waiting to have you say, help. He's all ears because God has chosen to have our prayers move him to act. So you're saying, why isn't God doing anything? God has chosen to have our prayers move him to act. Where is the God who delivered Israel from Egypt? He's waiting to have you pray and ask him to act because he's chosen to act in response to our prayers. That's what Isaiah would say to Israel, and that's what he would say to us. Okay, so do you have some problem in your life, some need, and you're thinking, where's God? Nothing's happening. Look at this. 
And what Isaiah would say to you is, where's the God who freed Israel from Egypt? He's waiting to have you ask him. Ask him. Ask him. See that God is ready to answer your prayers. Let me give you an example to close up here. 1850, New York. This is a time in our country when the churches all across the country were growing weaker and weaker and weaker. Believers were were falling away from the faith. Nobody was being saved and brought to the gospel. Churches were on the decline in the the 1850s. There was a businessman in New York named Jeremiah Lanfear, burdened by this. And so he said, we need to pray. So he thought, okay, we're just going to start a Wednesday noon, 12 to 1, prayer meeting. And he rented a little storefront in New York City, put a little sign out front, Come pray for God to work, 12 to 1 Wednesdays. Okay, so first Wednesday, he was there, all by himself, first 30 minutes. But then another person came, another person came, six people showed up that first day. Okay, next Wednesday, there were 20 people who came to pray, right? Third Wednesday, there were 40 people who came to pray, and you know what they decided? Let's do this every day. So they started praying five days a week, Monday through Friday. Soon there were 3,000 people coming to pray every day, New York City. Within six months, there were over 10,000 people in New York City, various locations throughout um, the city that were praying. Okay? God is ready to answer prayer. God has chosen to have our prayers move him to act. God's people were praying. What happened? Um, Historian Perry Miller of Yale University calls what happened the event of the century. Over one million people in a country at that time of 30 million, brand new, we want to follow Jesus. Over one million people in the next months. There were some New England towns where it was reported you couldn't find one person who wasn't trusting Jesus Christ. This massive outpouring of God's saving work, God's renewing work, God's reviving work took place. So see, we've got to get in our hearts that God is ready to answer. So where is God when we have need? God is ready to answer prayer. God is waiting to hear our prayers. And we need to come with hearts prepared. Strengthen your faith in God's power. Ask him, say, I believe, help my unbelief. Strengthen me to see your power more clearly. We need to be thankful for his goodness and, and let the Holy Spirit crush the anger that can rise up by confessing that to the Lord Jesus, asking him to set us free from that. We need to confess our sin. Any willful known sin that you are refusing to confess before him, surrender that at his feet and then see that God is ready to answer. And you will see God answering with great power. He's ready to answer. Now let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Lord, I ask that right now you'd bring your power upon us. Got lots of different needs here. Lord, some, some here really need 
need to be strengthened in their trust in your power. They're, they're, they're not seeing it. They're not feeling it. They really do think the economy is bigger or that the sin in their hearts is bigger or that some other person is, is bigger. And Lord, I pray right now, would you help their unbelief? Would you right now show them the awesome reality of your sovereign power over everything? That they would see you are in complete control. And so they could pray earnestly about whatever their concerns are. Lord, I pray for anybody here who's angry at you. That's something that's happened. It's so easy for us to, to go there, but it's so wrong. And so, Lord, please, would you help them? Help them come right to you, living Jesus, right now, and confess that before you and ask you to, to change their hearts. And then, Lord, would you remind them of your astonishing goodness through the cross? Would you remind them of your lavish love in coming to earth so that we could be forgiven and set free from the guilt and the power of sin? And would you remind them also of ways you've been faithful through their lives? Come and do that for them. God, I pray right now for people here who are not surrendering their lives to you. There is some area of sin. Somebody actually kind of shared about this earlier, I think, during spiritual gifts. But, Lord, there's some area of of, of sin that they're clinging to unconfessed, willful sin. Lord, please, right now, change their hearts. Have them see who you are, living Jesus, and that that sin is not worth trading for Jesus Christ. Please, Lord, bring confession, bring surrender to you, complete surrender to you right now. And then, Lord, I pray for those who really don't see that you are ready to answer prayer. And they're asking, where is God? And I, I pray that right now they would see that the same God who set Israel free from Egypt is here, ready to have them ask. Strengthen that confidence, Lord. Make yourself very real to them, I pray. And strengthen, Lord, them as, as they start to pray and ask you for help. So come and do this, God, by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray for Mercy Hill Church. Thank you so much for this body, for this family of believers. And Lord, I know you want to move, lift us up to a new level of prayer for our own needs, for our families, husbands praying for their wives and their kids, and wives praying for their husbands and families, and families praying together, and then in our home groups, laboring in prayer for our lost friends and for the needs that are in our groups. And then for us as a church, Lord, I, I pray that you be You'd be using what's, what's here in your word this morning to raise us up to a new level of heart preparation in prayer. Do that for us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.